Okay, Robert, nice to meet you for the first time. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Good to meet you as well. And uh, Derek, it was nice to nice to meet you as well. This is the first time I'm getting to have you. So nice to meet yeah. you. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And Juliana, nice to have you again to join our conference. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's great to see you, Stephen. Good. If you could each just give Robert, then Derek, then Juliana, just give us a one-minute um, update on what you've been doing the last 10 years and just a quick background from your in your words. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Stephen. I appreciate you having me. This is really exciting to be here with two of my uh, favorite colleagues, uh, Derek and Juliana. I have been doing a lot of traveling and speaking and writing lately. Uh, what I found is that I, I think for a lot of us, doubling down on our strengths is a great way to be an effective advocate for whatever cause we're, we're fighting for or working toward. And so for me, writing is a strength of mine. And I, I released a New York Times bestseller. Uh, public speaking is a strength of mine often. And so I've been speaking around the world from China to Australia, to Europe, to uh, over a decade on the vegan cruise in the Caribbean to all over North America. And I've also been visiting a whole lot of bookstores. I like to say I've been to more bookstores than any author in America at more than 300 in more than 29 states in just the last couple of years signing books. And so my main, miss it, my main mission is to show people you can build your body on a plant-based diet and also give them the tools in order to do that. Figuring that leading by example is one of the best ways to do that. So just a few days ago, I was at the world's most famous gym, uh, Venice, Gold's, uh, Venice Gold's Gym, and I lifted the heaviest weight I've ever lifted in my life for a particular exercise at age 43 and, and now actually in my 28th year as a vegan athlete. So that's what I'm here to do to uh, lead by example and to the best of my ability. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And again, thanks for having me here too, Stephen. It's been a pleasure to join such a, a uh, impressive lineup you guys have here. Um, I've been quite as busy with, <laughs> as Robert with a lot of these things. I was just talking to these guys. Um, my wife and I are fortunate enough to have three young children. So that's been keeping me quite busy these last few years. Um, I last competed in bodybuilding in 2017 and I've been looking to get back into it, but you know, with COVID and things like that, I've not been able to still owning and operating my own, um, vegan personal training studio out of Richmond, Virginia, uh, and training people online, writing nutrition programs, as well as pursuing more education and nutrition, as well as a lot of, um, rehabilitative therapies. I'm now certified in corrective exercise and muscle activation techniques. So really learning more, um, about physiology and recovery from injuries and things like that um, to kind of hone my craft working one-on-one -on -one with clients as I do on a daily basis um, is where my focus has been a lot lately. Great. Thank you. Of course. Me too. I'm very excited to be with all of you today. And the last 10 years, let's see, well, I just finished my ninth book. Three of them were ebooks, but I published the book I always wanted to write um, last year called The Choosing Now Diet, which I'm going to be presenting this week. And um, I've been doing a lot of consult consultations with clients around the globe. I work a lot in weight loss transformation, which is what is highlighted in, in the Choosing Now Diet. But I also take people through any kind of transformation to help them eat a plant-based diet, to help improve any of their chronic conditions, to you know improve their all sorts of things, everything that they come for. I have people across the lifespan, every decade of, of the lifespan from baby all the way through seniors. 
and athletes. And um, yeah, I work, it's been so nice to be able to work right here around the world, sitting at home for the last few years. I've been trying to put that into the world for many, many years. I'm very excited to have that. I've been leading groups, challenges, 21 day choose you now challenges. And yeah, going, I'm glad that the travels are coming back and events are starting to be back live because I love being in a room filled with real people and feeling that energy, but happy to be here today. Great. Thank you. So my first question, um, I guess, mostly for Robert and Derek, is that we have no interest in bodybuilding. We didn't ask you to come on here because we are concerned about bodybuilding. The reason we are interested is that all the speakers, and especially Brian Clement, is saying that weightlifting or resistance exercise, meaning like push-ups and pull-ups, is critical for our bone health and for our bone strength. And as people get older with whatever it is, osteoporosis or um, broken hips or whatever they break, he is saying that everyone, including 80-year-old women, absolutely must be doing resistance exercise. And then a lot of other authors were saying that you need it for hormones and for other reasons. So although some people think that weightlifting is for bodybuilding, what they're saying is resistance exercise weightlifting is the same as aerobics. It's a critical piece that everyone, male or female, all the way until they get, you know, at all ages, has to be doing. And they're saying in the old days, we would have been farming, which would have been the equivalent. So what are your thoughts about what the benefits are for a regular person who is not trying to be a bodybuilder, but wants all the health benefits of strong bones, hormones, and the other benefits, including um, Dale Bredesen saying that there's you know less dementia or Alzheimer's. So there, there's a list of benefits they're saying from resistance exercising well beyond just looking good. What, do you, what are your thoughts on what the benefits are of resistance exercise? Yeah, absolutely. Derek, do you want to go ahead and start? I would love to. Thanks, Robert. Um, actually, this was uh, basically the focus of my lecture I gave um, in this summit, because there's a lot of exciting research that's come out in the last 10 to 15 years and more and more all the time. Um, for example, as I mentioned, there is a big meta-analysis that came out recently showing the grip strength, if you measure an individual's grip strength, actually more closely um, relates to their all-cause mortality risk than blood pressure. And blood pressure has been the gold standard forever in terms of um, someone's all-cause mortality risk. So and I could go down the list, but there are substantial um, pieces of evidence coming out that, that resistance training and just having a strong fit body is very, very important for your long-term health and for your vitality. Um, and as I also pointed out in my lecture, it's it's something that it, the numbers are pretty accessible when you look at large meta-analyses of what people are doing and what the results are in terms of their lifespan and all-cause mortality disease risk. Um, really just two to three strength training sessions a week um, and you know total body not focused on becoming a bodybuilder or anything, but just staying healthy, kind of as you mentioned, the equivalent of, of something a farmer would do, just making it part of your lifestyle. Um, has dramatic benefits all across the board for your, your health and maintaining a healthy body. Yeah. And, and look at the benefits across the board of increasing strength, uh, strength of muscles, tendons, joints. Um, you're, if you're lifting weights, you're probably practicing some sort of stretching or flexibility as well. You're putting yourself in a position to very likely actually prevent injuries by having stronger muscles, uh, more supple muscles, you know, flexible muscles. And the fact that 
when you're engaged in a regular basis in resistance training, you're, you're, you're burning calories. You're, uh, you're, you know, you're putting yourself through a workout, you're elevating your heart rate, you're increasing circulation. And there's also some other benefits as well that we may not think about. There's aspects of, uh, of, of community sometimes training at a gym with a training partner or with a friend or with a family member. I know I'm going to the gym with my wife after this call. We're going to, that's something we're going to do together. That has benefits. But when you're just talking about the, the real, uh, the, the real studies, the research, the science based around it, uh, the, the, uh, the benefits, the list is, is long and it should be inspiring. Like, like Derek said, it's something that we should all do. Um, resistance rate weight training is a great way to help, um, manage body weight as well and maintain a, 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 a you know, relatively fit or trim physique. And, um, it's something that you're right, Stephen, for every age and every gender and every interest, uh, you should engage in on a fairly regular basis. And also, uh, I know you said not everyone wants to be a bodybuilder. Um, most people can't be a bodybuilder that takes a tremendous amount of effort uh, and lifting weights is whether male or female or otherwise is not going to make you super bulky unless you have a very specific bodybuilding program and nutrition program to support it. But what it, what it will do is make you uh, quite a bit healthier and might even inspire you to do other forms of exercise on a more regular basis, therefore making you more uh, fit overall. Thank you. Um, so the you know one of the most basic questions that people would like to know from this conference more than almost anything else, and maybe Juliana, you could start us with this is, okay, how do I lose weight? So I think that is a core question that a ton of people would like to know. They've been thinking about it for the last 40 years. They've tried every diet. Everyone has an opinion. Is there any good, clean, crisp evidence on what is the best way for someone to go about losing weight? Maybe you could start, Juliana. Sure. Well, there's a lot of ways to lose weight. There's many, many ways to lose weight, and some are more healthy than others. I think a whole food plant-based diet is the healthiest diet we have access to, so why not do it in the healthiest way possible? No matter what, you have to create a deficit. That's what all these famous now, these diabetic medications being used for weight loss, the ozempic, the semaglutides are, they basically cause you to feel sick, so sick that you can't eat food. People that get gastric bypass or those kind of surgeries, it disables them from being able to eat enough food. So you have to create a deficit. There's a myth going around the plant-based community that if you cut out like fat, you could eat as much as you want. And that's not a healthy recommendation either because that perpetuates binging and it minimizes the need for some essential fats in the diet. So you do need to create a deficit. I use a whole food plant-based diet. I use time-restricted eating. I think fewer fewer times in the fed state is a really health-promoting thing to do for health span and for weight loss and for longevity. And the human data is growing. Every day it's growing. And, um, you know, consuming, you know, you want to talk about calorie density and eating the lower calorie density foods, the vegetables and fruits, whole grains, legumes, and then mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices. Those are the combination of those foods and infinite tasty combinations, you can eat them in a way, if you time it right, and you eat just enough to be satiated, and you will lose weight, but you have to watch yourself. So I use a lot of tools, you know, I use a lot of mindfulness techniques, because there's way more to this game than just what you eat, like you can get a meal plan, I won't give my clients a meal plan. I'd rather walk them through and see what's going to work for them so it's sustainable. So you just have to find recipes that you love, and you have to like time it out so you're eating just enough. And we work with meal frequency, how often you eat, 
meal volume and meal repetition. You want to get a little bit mundane so you're not stimulating all of that dopamine because it's a very complicated, it's an enormous subject that I could talk for hours and hours about, but um, essentially you need to create a deficit and it's a really great idea to do it with whole plant foods. Thank you. Either of you want to add anything to that? I'd be happy to if that's all right, Robert. Um, yeah, essentially, I've been, you know, working with clients one-on-one -on -one for 15 years now and I've worked with thousands of people and, and primarily the goals are weight loss. Lots of people want to gain muscle too, but um, it absolutely comes down to what Juliana said. Is a plant-based diet is, is one of our most powerful tools in our toolbox because the foods are more nutritious. They're less calorie dense. Um, and also something that she said that I think is, it can be overstated is it has to be sustainable. I've moved away from meal plans as well for that um, reason, except for in specific cases. Uh, and, you know, case in point, I was, when I was working in Gold's Gym as the, as the head trainer, I had a large wall of success stories. And I found that some people were coming back to me year after year, having gained weight back. And I, I really learned that extreme workouts and extreme restrictive diets just cause people to rebound immediately. And I've, I've done a 180 um, long ago since then. And my approach now is the slower you lose the weight, the better, because you're more likely to have made changes that you can therefore consistently keep doing. Um, and we we talk, my wife and I talk about this when we go to vegan summer fest in the summer about sustainable eating and um, and kind of opt automating, if you will, um, your meal practices. If you can have the same breakfast five days a week, which most people do uh, without thinking about it, why can't you carry that over to lunch, carry that over to your afternoon snack, things like that. And the more you automate it, the more you take off that pressure to um, to have a decision about what to eat. The less chance there is to slip up, the less stress there is, and the less um, discipline fatigue there is um, with your diet. So you get some healthy staples that you love, you vary them with flavors, spices, sauces, um, and you try to build your diet around that with enough flexibility, enough variability to keep you happy and content and able to have an active social life. Um, but that makes it a lot more successful and sustainable. And I would just like to add one more thing that's not a food approach. So one of my big things and one of the things that I write about in all of my books is like what both of them emphasize the only way that you can lose weight is to be in some sort of calorie deficit. So oftentimes we restrict food and restrict calories or we look for foods that are a bit lower in calorie density and higher in nutrient density. And that's all great too. And I, and I, and I do that, but I love incorporating more movement, right? If, if the ability to burn fat means uh, expending more calories than I'm consuming, then I want to walk more. I want to take the stairs more. I want to cycle more. I want to hike more. I want to play pickleball more. I want to swim more. I want to do these types of things. And I think people overlook that. And so I do that. Even if you're on a phone call, I go out in the sun, go for a nice long walk. I go on dog walks. Um, I decide I'm going to do a little bit of extra exercise. I'm a big basketball fan. I love it. We got a game tonight, Nuggets versus Lakers. Uh, I'm right here in Denver. Um, I will, I will ride the bike while I watch the game. It's like my, not, not a reward system, but just something that engages me where I feel like I'm working while I'm enjoying this, this uh, you know, the reward, so to speak. Or I have dumbbells at home and I use those in front of the, the TV watching basketball. I always look for ways to do movement. I, I go on this uh, vegan cruise we've all been on, all the, all the people on the panel at one time or another. It's 19 stories tall. Uh, I've never seen the inside of an elevator in 11 years on the ship. Uh, because I take the stairs every opportunity. I do that in hotels. I do it at home. I do it wherever I am. And so that's just one practical tip that I'd like to leave here is that it's, it's yes, the food is, is massively important, probably the most important thing, but don't overlook 
physical activity and all the other benefits you get from that being outside fresh air nature sunshine spending time with dogs or <laughs> whatever you're doing um so i tell people go for an extra dog walk take the stairs and uh and go lift some weights in the backyard and have fun okay thank you um what is the key to be motivated to lift weights or diet every day for the rest of our lives like for me I'm okay on the diet, I'm okay on the jogging, but I'm gonna be 60 years old and I've been joining gyms since I'm 15 and I cannot seem to get momentum with the, the weightlifting. I guess I feel like it hurts. Um, I don't feel very strong and you know, I'm you know, not doing so great with it. I know a lot of people with the diet and the food, they get a little frustrated. And you know, so for some of us um, are looking at the three of you and going, yeah, these are the people who, somehow figured it out. They're motivated. They're young. They're healthy. They look great. But for some of us, we're feeling like, you know, some of us feel, I guess, stuck. Some of it, like for me, I'm stuck on the weightlifting. Other people are stuck on the diet part. Um, is there best practices for, for what gets people to get in the groove and stick with it with the weightlifting and or with the diet? If each of you could answer that. I would love to start if that's okay, just because that's such a great question, Stephen. And I deal with this every day with my clients. And it comes down to one thing only. You have to want it. You have to want to make these changes and you want to have to keep it and you want to see the results, right? When you start feeling good, then it's going to build on itself. So if it doesn't feel good for you to do whatever plan you've been doing, change it so it does feel good. And as someone that's also aging, <laughs> I guess we all are, but um, I've noticed a big transition. I've been a personal trainer for 25 years or more. And my, my fitness regime has had to completely change because everything changes in your body and injuries happen and overuse injuries. So in terms of the exercise things, evolve it to make it something you like. A lot of times if I don't feel like I don't have a gym membership for the first time in my life. So I'll do little workouts here at home or little videos, or I love to dance, you know, by myself with music, like whatever you love, just to get that weight bearing exercise, just do what you love. So pick what you love. In terms of food, you have to want it, but there's all of this wonderful evidence about building habits. You have to repeat it, right? You have to do small little changes and then repeat, repeat, repeat. And the people that do the small changes and are consistent with it over time, they're the ones that stay with it for the long term. So build upon one habit at a time. Don't overwhelm yourself and don't let perfection get in the way of all the progress that you can have with the day-to-day -day little habit changes. Great. Thank you. Mind if I go next, Robert? Please go ahead. Awesome. I mean, you nailed it, Julian. I just have um, a couple of things to add there. It's two things that I want to want to add that that may be helpful are the first are there's this common misconception that motivation starts everything, that everything comes from you sit in a chair, you wait, lightning strikes, you're motivated, you go out and do the thing. It's almost always the opposite. Normally, action leads to results, leads to motivation. That's almost always the case. When you start seeing things happen, when you start feeling changes, when you start noticing benefits, then you are motivated to continue. But you have to have to have that initial discipline, that initial push, be it from an external source, like a friend, a buddy, watching a documentary, um, going to a conference like this, or just you know a, a um, New Year's resolution, whatever the case may be, that initial push to get it going. And then once you take action, oftentimes motivation follows that. But motivation is, is an emotion. It's fleeting. It's It comes and goes. Even for the most disciplined advocate of exercise, all three of us here, I know we've had days where you just don't want to do it. Diet or exercise or you know cardio, strength training, you name it. I certainly have, and I, I work out almost every single day. Um, and those are the days where it being a habit 
is essential. You have it just something you do, something you don't think about. It's just part of your routine. Um, the less mental effort, just like with the eating, the less mental effort, the less mental discipline you have to flex on the activity, the more likely it's just going to happen and happen and happen. And you don't need to have great workouts. You don't need to have a perfect diet every day, but you need to do well almost every day. And it's just the showing up over and over and over and over again that builds the results that make you successful, just like anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Stephen, I'd like to address what, like your personal uh, question directly. Like, man, you just you're struggling to just get the gym thing to work and be consistent and all of that. Yet you put on a big conference like this, like the world's biggest of this type. What I say is connect the dots ahead of time. You know, when I started, Stephen, I barely weighed over 100 pounds lifting weights. And I had visions in my head that someday I'm going to be this muscle guy. Someday I'm going to build, build my body. And I did. I built my body from 120 pounds to 220 pounds, became a champion vegan, vegan bodybuilder, wrote a bunch of books and toured around the world. And that has defined who I am as a person because I connected the dots ahead of time. It was tough to be a you know, small guy in the gym lifting weights, but I said, you know, if I stick with it, this won't be the case six months from now or five years from now or 10 years from now, watch out. I'm going to make progress. And I, and I, and I did what Derek said and I created systems. You know, they, there's this, that quote that people use something like, you know, people fail, but systems don't fail. If you have a system in place and you show up, we have 1,440 minutes in a day. I'm only asking 40 minutes of your time. Show up for 40 minutes every day or five days a week and you go through it, you adapt you improve and that inspires you to keep going. That, that's where sometimes that motivation comes from is when you do see the results. I heard this quote uh, from Dr. Robert Maurer who said that we set the same New Year's resolutions for 10 consecutive years before we decide that, you know what, maybe that's not for me. It hasn't worked out all these years before we decide to change. And most of us give up on New Year's resolutions around January 17th or 19th or whatever the case is. And, and, it's, and it's not because the system doesn't work. It's because we don't put ourselves in a system to be successful. There's also something Juliana touched on, uh, which reminded me of the Kaizen system, which is small incremental steps to improvement and progress. That's what we need. Go big or go home doesn't always work. You know, throwing everything at it doesn't always work. But if you just show up today and do a little bit more the next day and a little bit more the next day, and you have these incremental changes. You get bigger, you get stronger, you start to feel uh, uh, you know, proud of that, of that accomplishment, and that motivates you to wanna to keep doing it. And then it becomes second nature. Like they both said, it becomes part of you. That is your habit, that is your routine. That's how you identify, that's what you do. And that's how you stick with it for the long haul. Each of us has been doing this for decades. I mean, vegan athlete for 28 years. I mean, Juliana, a trainer for 25 years, Derek, you know, doing his thing for 15 years. We all followed these types of systems of showing up consistently over time, and they just became part of us. Thank you. Um, so what are you recommending in terms of aerobic resistance training and stretching for us in the audience where, again, we're not trying to be bodybuilders, but we do want the health benefits, the strong bones, the hormones. How many days a week should we work out? How many minutes and how many on each of these three categories? And you could add... I don't know if yoga is a replacement for stretching or a separate category. You could go. I'm, I'm happy to go if you guys are all right with that. Yeah, please, um, Derek. I've done some deep dives and, and granted my focus has been on 
searching the term all-cause mortality, looking at what has the greatest impacts for lifespan and disease risk mitigation. So this isn't necessarily if you want to be an athlete, if you want to be a bodybuilder. Um, but I've been looking deeply into this question as of recently. There's been a lot of solid meta-analyses with hundreds of thousands of participants reviewed over the last few years. And there, there certainly is what we call a U-shaped curve, which means a sweet spot where you get benefits and benefits and benefits. We're reducing the risk of death, reducing the risk of disease. And then after you go past a certain point, the risk starts to increase again. Um, never to the point where it's worse than not exercising, but there's a sweet spot. With resistance training, as I mentioned, that seems to be about two to three days per week. Um, roughly one hour session, but it's very hard to pin down the details because they, in meta-analyses, there's lots of different programs where people are doing lots of different exercise protocols. Uh, but overall, two to three days a week, uh, roughly an hour. Intensity is shown to matter. So people who work harder for those two to three hours do better than people who don't work as hard. That's definitely important. Um, for cardiovascular training, similar, there's a U-shaped curve and it, the numbers are a little higher. Um, what I'm seeing is three to five um, sessions per week. And again, intensity matters. If you're doing more intense training, three days per week is, is great. If you're doing less intense training, five. Um, more than that, you certainly are still healthy, uh, but that seems to be where the benefits are optimized. Um, two areas that I've, I've seen um, where there is not a U-shaped curve, where it's just a line and the more the better, which is very rare in biological systems, by the way, um, are NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And that just means gentle movement, walking, doing dishes, moving around, not being still stationary. Um, you know, we easily count with the pedometer, but it can be anything. It'd be housework, yard work, grocery shopping. Um, anything where you're moving around is considered neat, which is just movement. There is no upper limit to that. The more you do, the better all day long. And that's a whole separate category of fitness, I would call on top of resistance training, on top of cardiovascular, um, non-exercise, activity thermogenesis is a really important one. And that one is the higher. If you wear a pedometer now and you're getting 4,000 steps a day, go for five because it's going to improve. If you're wearing a pedometer now and you're getting 16,000 steps a day, which is a lot, go for 17 because it will still cause improvements. And the other, the other um, linear reduction in all-cause mortality I mentioned was grip strength. So that is specific to strength, um, more than muscle mass, more than um, any other kind of benefits you might see from resistance training, gaining strength seems to be very, very protective, um, with, I didn't see any upper limits, although I imagine that none of us have to be powerlifters to see all these benefits. Um, you want to, you want to have a strong body. It seems to be very, very beneficial flexibility. And I'll let you guys, um, definitely weigh in on, cause I haven't looked as close on this one, but I did see an interesting study. I believe it had, um, upwards of 60,000 individuals. It was a big one, but I don't quote me on that. I'm not positive. Uh, saw that over a period of time, flexibility was improved just as much by doing full range of motion resistance training as by doing the designated stretch, stretching program. So if you're doing resistance training, if you're moving full, full range of motion, it will help your, your mobility. Um, that's not saying don't stretch. Uh, stretching can be very beneficial. And maybe if resistance training isn't your thing, flexibility training is very important. Um, but you can get a lot of benefits and that's, it's the same goes for other activities. If you're swimming, if you're running, make sure you're moving through full ranges of motion. Cause when you start narrowing that range of motion down for a lot of repetitions, that's where you can actually get tight rather than looser. Um, so things like yoga are great for that reason. You're moving through full ranges of motion. You're keeping your body limber. Um, so hopefully that gives some, some concrete stuff that I, I found that I've been excited about, but by all means, guys, chip in <laughs> whatever you found that I'd love to hear. Juliana? 
just a little nugget for especially the sedentary people that I think is always inspiring to hear and to remember is that you don't need to have this much this many hours in a day like consecutive you know you could break it up if you do like for me I sit here a lot during the day I have a client but then I build in breaks so I'll go for a walk even if I have to motivate myself that I'm gonna go get a you know a coffee you know I'll walk to the coffee shop and come back I'll make myself walk and then I'll go into I have my mat laid out in front of right here there's my little yoga mat and little little things so I can just pick them up in between clients and stuff like that so if you pepper these little minutes throughout the day and even you just aggregate them throughout the day that still leads to the same benefits and the whole concept of use it or lose it. So if you're doing something like what I love to do, dance or some types of yoga, you're getting balance and flexibility and strength training. And sometimes you're elevating your heart rate and getting cardiovascular endurance and, and uh, strength there too. So it's nice to just find something you love. It doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be in a gym and it doesn't have to be a certain way. Just make it work for you so you are happy and it feels good because it feels good to move your body. And you you, you took my answer. Uh... My answer was do what you will do, you know, do what you enjoy doing. If I said, Stephen, I want you and everybody listening right now to use the uh, Stairmaster for 35 minutes every single day, or let's say five days a week for, you know, uh, on this level of difficulty, 90% of people wouldn't do it. It's just not fun. It's too hard. (laughs) It's too challenging. It's not fun. There's no reward uh, to just be sweating like crazy on a Stairmaster. But some people might like it. Good. That's good for the 1% or the 10%. So you've got to find, that's why Juliana took my answer. She said, do what you love, do, you know, dance or do whatever. That's how you're going to be consistent. So when Derek's talking about the studies, this is how much time you should spend doing it. Okay. That's concrete. But now what should you be doing? If you told me, Robert, I want you to swim. No, I don't like swimming. I'm not good at it. It's hard for me to breathe. I don't have to, you know, I don't know how to do it right. Like I wouldn't do it. So you, you need to be in an environment where you're going to be able to set yourself up for success. So that that's the, the psychological aspect. You have to know yourself. What will I do? What won't I do? What am I willing to do for X amount of time to get my heart rate up, to do some sort of resistance training on my body, whether it's weight training or other resistance training, to do some cardiovascular training. Um, it's you, you have to know yourself and put yourself in a position to succeed. What is your thoughts on the most important supplements for everyone? Assuming that just, 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 yeah, just on supplement, nutritional supplements, what is the most important ones for optimizing our health? I'm happy to go on that one too, because that's kind of my topic um, that I love to talk about. So anyone on a plant-based diet, these are the notable nutrients that you have to be aware of because it's a potential risk for deficiency. Vitamins B12, if you are on a plant-based diet, you must supplement with B12. There's no question. Vitamin D3, that's a a problem for a lot of the world now because of sun exposure and a lot of indoor activity and excess fat on the body. We're just, there's a lot of D deficiency around the world. So it's something that we all need to consider. The other vitamin is K2, and that has to do with bone health. So we get K1, the philoquinone from all those lovely leafy greens that we always recommend. But there's also a form called K2 menoquinone that we also, it seems like we may need to supplement unless you're doing natto, but not everyone has access to or pleasure of enjoying natto. So K2 supplements are something to consider for bone bone health. Then the two minerals are iodine because a lot of us are avoiding salt or we're using salts that are fancy salts that are not iodized. And so I'm seeing goiters for the first time in my 18 year career as a dietitian and uh, thyroid issues. So you want to be very careful. Adults need 150 micrograms a day. So that's something to be mindful of. You could also use iodized salt and, but in moderation, because you don't want to overdo it on the salt. 
And then zinc is something that's potentially an issue, especially now when we're talking a lot about immunity for the last four years. Uh, zinc is really important for immune system and all these other different things too, inflammation and all that. So, and because we get zinc from plant foods, but there's a phytates that may disrupt the absorption of them, you just need to eat either more of those or consider supplementing as well. So I love to just take a multivitamin. I have my clients take a multivitamin that contain all of those five nutrients. And I have all of this on my website and my books and everything. You could look it up. Um, and then the one macronutrient to be aware of are the long chain omega-3 fatty acids, the EPA and DHA. So we, as on a plant-based diet, get our omega-3 fatty acids from ALA, the shorter form of it. And we're supposed to elongate into EPA and then DHA. We need all forms of this for, it's crucial for our cognitive health and our, you know, just cognitive function and immunity. It's so many things, inflammation. And, um, a lot of us are, are, deficient in it. So you want to make sure you're getting your ALA rich foods like flax, chia and hemp and soy foods and some leafy greens and seaweed. Um, but you also want to consider taking a microalgae supplement of DHA and EPA. And a lot of us are recommending that now, especially it's been more and more of us are recommending that as, as the research pours in. Great. Thank you. Anything you'd like to add to that, Derek or Robert? Uh, I'll go ahead quickly and just maybe mention some things perhaps, I'm sure we'll cover it a little bit later, but we don't need to necessarily uh, focus on, and that's, for example, protein supplementation for most of us. If we reach our calorie needs, we very, very, very likely reach our protein requirement needs as well. Now, those, those who are active are going to need a little bit more uh, protein, you know, 1.2 to 2.0 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. But I think there's this, this uh, misconception in this vegan bodybuilding world or vegan fitness world or plant-based fitness world that, uh, you know, if you're plant-based, you need to just load up and load up and load up with extra protein. And, you know, I haven't used any protein supplements myself in over a decade. And I'm the biggest and strongest I've ever been in my life in my mid forties and three decades into veganism. I'm just one anecdotal example, but there's a lot of anecdotal examples from friends and colleagues who are doing the same. Derek is famous for you know, his weight gainer shake, which is things like, like white beans. And uh, I don't know what else you put in there. It's been a while since we had <laughs> that on my website. A lot of nuts and seeds and things, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a whole, my point is oftentimes when we talk about supplementation, typically aside from B12, uh, protein comes up right to the very, very top. And that's not necessarily something that is essential for everybody. If you, if you track your protein int intake and your macronutrient intake at large and your calorie intake compared to your calorie expenditure, you, you'll likely discover that you reach your protein intake needs. So that's one that I would, I kind of encourage people to maybe uh, take off your supplement list and get it from whole food sources like, like Derek talks about uh, uh, in depth. And so that's just, uh, you know, my two cents. And then furthermore, sports supplementation, you have to remember that's very often for the top 1% among us. I mean, how many of us listening in are, are representing our countries in the Olympics or looking for, we have a seven figure contract in sports or, or something. Most of us don't. And so these incremental changes from sports supplements and powders are to make you a little bit stronger or a little bit faster. I'd rather focus on a little bit more longevity or a little bit more, you know, enjoyment through doing something else like, you know, going for a dog walk um, and get a little bit of exercise in that way than the nuanced of, of sports nutrition supplements. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, Robert did a great job, and Julianda, there's nothing I would touch about your answer. It was perfect. Um, essentially, that's the point I wanted to illustrate too. There's two categories of supplements: wellness supplements versus performance supplements. Performance, um, none of them are necessary, and again, they're for those one percent performers. You know, um, 
save your money unless you're really focused on, on getting that micro gains. But oftentimes people who are, are looking for that quick fix are not covering their diet or not covering their um, exercise the way they could. And they yield much better results from doing that rather than from focusing on performance supplements. Nutritional supplements, I agree completely with, with what Julianne said, and I have nothing to add to it. What do you do when your clients whisper to you that their sex drive feels lower than it used to be? Do you have any specific advice for men, men and women um, who feel it's their sex drives decreased? Is there any supplements or food or workouts that are appropriate to change that? Or is that just something that happens with age and there's nothing they can do? There's definitely links to lifestyle. So this is like something you want to go check out with your physician, of course, rule out any kind of hormonal changes. But our food is directly associated with our hormonal patterns. And yes, aging does decrease certain hormones and it changes, especially for women. We have a very dramatic change in our 40s and 50s or whenever that happens. But um, but that can definitely be improved for most people with a healthy lifestyle. So this is where we have one circular uh, cardiovascular circulatory system. It's all connected. All of our entire body is all connected. So if we're providing ourselves with the most nutrition and we're pumping our bodies, so we're pumping our lymphatic system and moving our lymph through our body, detoxifying and getting things pumped so the cells are really healthy and nourished and the cardiovascular system and the lymphatic system are flowing really well, you're going to optimize all aspects of your life, including your sexual drive and all of those things related to it. So definitely all of these things really matter. So make sure you're eating on point. You are getting some activity. And if you're still not able to deal with it, you can definitely go reach out. And a lot of people really thrive on these hormones, the um, the more natural, these, these newer age hormones that I've heard many, many of my clients have improved dramatically their energy, their sex drives, their, you know, everything just by, by using some some hormone replacement therapy. So it's definitely worth investigating if you're struggling, why struggle? You know, sometimes pharmaceuticals can actually help. So there's definitely a place for that in a lot of in a lot of uh, um, circumstances. So it's definitely worth investigating if you're still struggling. Yeah, the, the term that a lot of the people have used is bioidentical hormone replacement is better than just regular hormone replacement. Yes. Okay, great. All right. And just to add to that, I have... Um, I would say that going down the list of kind of simple lifestyle factors uh, would be my first thing. Yes, absolutely. See your doctor if you think there's something to be concerned about and explore options if you need. But how is your stress level? How are you sleeping? How is your diet? You know, if you've been falling back on your diet or, or drinking too much alcohol for the past six weeks and all of a sudden, lo and behold, your sex drive seems to be in the tank. Um, there's probably a relationship there or same thing with mental health. If you're suffering from depression, if you're suffering from anxiety, you're probably not going to feel your best in a lot of ways, including libido. Um, so that's kind of where I, my focus would be. Um, and then absolutely some of these things need a, a pharmaceutical or some kind of clinical intervention, you know, with, with anxiety and depression, it could be um, going to therapists or psychologists. You know, I think we all learned a lot about mental health over, over the COVID experience. And, um, that, that's definitely something to look into. Um, but there are bona fide hormonal concerns that need to be treated medically. So, so all those things should be considered because it could be the sign of something more serious going on. Nothing else to add. Okay. Um, can a bodybuilder get as big and cut on a whole food plant-based diet as, an, as on an animal product diet? Is there proof of this? That's a great question. And 
I'm hesitant to say on a whole food plant-based diet because so much of bodybuilding is on concentrated calories and supplements and sports nutrition that uh, vegan bodybuilders and omnivorous bodybuilders alike follow. And so to get as big and lean and cut as you're describing, uh, just eating whole plant foods is, is really hard, I think, uh, compared to someone who's doing high amounts of isolated uh, protein, you know, lower carbohydrate intake to, you know, bring out this aesthetic look. Now that has nothing to uh, say about health, by the way, um, that, you know, bodybuilding and health are actually pretty far apart from one another when it comes to competitive bodybuilding and at a high level. And I think all of us on the panel uh, know that, including from firsthand experience, um, competing sometimes for over a decade. So do I think you can get just as big as any other bodybuilder in the world on a plant-based diet? Absolutely. In fact, some have done it. I, I've met um, some of the biggest bodybuilders in the world who have followed a plant-based diet, but they're also on a lot of anabolic drugs and steroids, uh, growth hormone and other, you know, essentially illegal drugs and steroids. And uh, they're taking in a ton of isolated nutrients. So it's not a whole food approach, even if they are plant-based. So it gets, it gets really, really nuanced. But when you're talking about hardcore bodybuilding, supplementation does play a role in the outcome there. And that's actually one of the reasons why I largely stepped away from competitive bodybuilding. I wanted to be a more holistic approach to health and wellness while still being bigger and stronger and oftentimes in better shape than, than I'd ever been in my life while doing it with a largely whole food plant-based diet. But you just probably won't see me winning a lot of bodybuilding competitions these days with that approach, but I can still look great in photos. I can feel great. And I can hopefully be contributing to uh, a longer, happier life as a result. Absolutely. Um, nailed it, Robert. That's a great answer. I would say a uh, study that was recently showing um, people following a plant-based diet versus people following omnivorous diet, um, as both participants were put on a higher protein intake, 20, 25% of calories and follow resistance training program. And those on a um, plant protein focused diet gained just as much muscle mass and these were trained individuals. These weren't newbie gains. So these are trained individuals, which is a more impressive result. Um, and that, that goes to show you that when protein levels are equated and getting, you know, most nutrients from whole foods, you will see just as much muscle gain from a, a plant-based diet as from an animal protein-based diet. But these weren't competitive bodybuilders. So I do agree with what Robert had to say there. But especially when you get into competition and, and competition diets where you're really cutting calories, where you're keeping protein high, but fat or carbohydrates go very low. You're trying to get that ultra low body fat while maintaining artificially high muscle mass. There's nothing healthy about that diet. And that, that is, would be very, very hard to do on whole plant foods alone. Um, so I would say for the average person looking to gain muscle, get stronger and improve their physique, absolutely. You can gain just as much muscle as an omnivore. Um, but in terms of someone stepping on a competition stage, especially a non-drug tested, um, with whole foods alone, I, I, I'm hesitant to say it would be equivalent. Uh, I think there's just too many isolated nutrients and too many um, unhealthy practices at play there. Thank you. Um, uh, Derek and Robert, do you, uh, outside of personal training clients, do you see nutrition clients also or specifically personal training clients? I would say, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I personally don't see any clients. Um, I write books, I write articles, 
Um, I, I speak on tour. I share a lot of stories. I'm, an, I'm a, a narrator and storyteller. So I personally don't see, um, see clients. What I do is I write for a largely a general audience. Uh, I write about the studies, like the ones that Derek's been mentioning. Like I know, I know that study you referenced is also that, that, um, the women's study in Canada on the female athletes who the, the plant-based athletes actually performed at a higher level than the omnivorous athletes in that particular Canadian study. So I, I tell those stories. So I don't see clients one-on-one uh, -on -one or do any coaching one-on-one. -on -one. I send people to people like <laughs> Derek and Juliana. Um, so I just wanted to answer that quickly that I, I, I don't work in that capacity. Sure. Uh, in my capacity, I would say that I'm doing 95 plus percent personal training. And a lot of my personal training clients, personal training clients, forgive me, are bringing in food journals. So I'm reviewing their nutrition, but I'm not assigning them nutrition. I'm not prescribing anything. I'm not a registered dietitian. Um, I have written meal plans, but as I've mentioned, I've kind of moved away from this because I really want people to build the skills and have the autonomy of, of judging their own diet and, and course correcting in real life rather than just following a, a set plan. Um, so I would say I've definitely, my expertise and my experience is more on the exercise side of the spectrum, but I have, have worked with a lot of nutrition clients as well. Okay. So then Juliana, the question really is for you. Um, we've had a lot of people over this conference and more to come who have lots saying lots of brilliant things based on evidence-based research and lots of research they've done, but in your actual day-to-day -day practice over the last 15 years, of all the people that came to you with high blood sugar, pre-diabetes, diabetes, that you then worked with, how well did, how successful were you in getting their blood sugar to a healthy level? And how often did it not work? And what did you do to get their blood sugars under control? It works. Results are typical. When I was in graduate school and in my internship, I was taught that the role of a healthcare provider is to mitigate the need to increase the dosage of medication or to mitigate the progression of the disease. We were not shown or taught that we could actually get off of medications and reverse these chronic conditions and diagnoses. But alas, for 18 years, I see it every single day. It is absolutely extraordinary, specific to high blood sugar. Well, what's so interesting is when I started 18 years ago, you know, people were coming to me and they wanted to go plant-based. And so when they were plant-based, it was mostly these omnivores coming to me um, that didn't have, were eating this, the standard Western diet. And of course they got better. They just get better. It just always works. It always works. If it's not, you could still fine tune and still improve. I've never seen someone not improve by changing their diet. Honestly, I never have. I've seen people not improve because they're not, they're doing other things, but when you follow this plan, it works. But what's so interesting to me, and I warn all my, whenever I talk to a vegan audience or people that are plant curious, please be careful. In the last decade, there's been a preponderance of new products on the market and we celebrate it from the ethical side of it. But what I'm seeing every day are vegans, long-term vegans coming to me with the same health issues as the omnivores do, high blood sugar, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity. And it's because when I look at their food journals and I've looked at hundreds of thousands of food journals, it's these really highly processed foods. Cause just because you know a burger and ice cream is vegan doesn't mean it's healthy and it still has sugar and it still has saturated fat. And so I like to get people onto a whole food plant-based diet and we definitely see improvements. And I I literally don't see it not working. I, I've never seen it not working with someone that's really doing all of these things. Can, can you be more specific? So what is the plan if someone comes to you and saying, my blood sugar is high, 
Do you limit their fat? Do you limit their sugar? Do you limit their oil? How do you get people to get their blood sugar to a healthy level? What is the specific recommendations? So again, this I can't be specific because everyone's a little bit different, but generally speaking, I will remove the refined foods. I remove all of the refined sugars. I remove the oils. I don't think oils are necessary for, well, they're not necessary. And most people are better out with better off without them. So all of my recipes and all of my nine books are oil-free and refined sugar-free. And then for people that are trying to lose weight, because a lot of time, not all the time, but a lot of times people that are have high blood sugar are also overweight or obese. And so losing weight can definitely help with that just, just by losing weight itself. But also we improve the diet. So we're eating whole foods. We're not doing white bread. We're doing you know, quinoa, we're doing legumes. I have this mnemonic that's in a lot of my books and on my website called the six daily threes. And it's a way to prioritize foods because I always say, I want you to eat a diet based on vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices in infinite tasty combinations. But how do you make that look into a meal plan? So the six daily threes are the six food groups that have unique nutritional qualities that you can't get elsewhere. And you should prioritize them in in your diet so that you're getting everything you need save for those notable nutrients we talked about before. So the six daily threes are like the six food groups to try to get every single day. Leafy green and cruciferous vegetables, incredible for your arteries and your blood sugar, all of that. Um, The other colored vegetables, fruits, and then legumes, lentils, peas, beans, hummus should be a food group and soy foods. And one to two ounces of nuts and seeds, so much evidence, mounting evidence on the cardio metabolic benefits to nuts and seeds, including an attenuating blood sugar and, and attaining euglycemia. And the sixth group I've added recently is mushrooms because they have an extraordinary array of very unique bio um, uh, marker, I'm sorry, these, these very bioactive compounds that promote health across multiple different um, mechanisms. So if you try to incorporate all those foods, it's great. And you don't have a lot of wiggle room for all the processed foods. If you're really high blood sugar and you really want to get going, get rid of all that stuff, go whole tofu, get it off the table. It's not in your diet ever. You're just eating these whole foods. You will see these results very dramatically. So much so that when someone comes to me, which often happens, and they're on a medication for high blood pressure or high blood sugar, since that's what we're kind of focusing on, although it's a one size fits all approach, honestly. I make sure that they warn their physician because their physicians have not seen the success that they're going to see with this kind of like, tell your doctor, you are going to be on a very dramatic change in your diet. Please be ready to change the dosing of my medication because it can quickly get dangerous because your blood sugar drops fast. Blood pressure drops fast. I had a student in my recent group. He was on three blood pressure medications for his entire adult life within the first week got off of them. I see this every single day. So you have to be really careful when there's a medication involved, but the diet is very generalizable to any of those health conditions, all health conditions and improving health. If you eat these whole plant foods, you will have improvements in all of the biomarkers and all of your chronic conditions. Things I never thought I would see, reducing acne and chronic pain and inflammation and psoriasis. And it's just extraordinary what this, how powerful this diet is. So- now that I'm turning 60, um, I can look back when I was 17 years old and people smoked cigarettes and I said, they're not good for you. They could laugh at me and say, what do you know? And I really didn't. What could I say? No, no, no nothing really bad happened to 17 year olds. But by the time you're 60, you look back and go, yeah, cigarettes are bad. People have really bad outcomes who smoke a lot of cigarettes. From your all your years being around athletes and bodybuilders and watch and nutrition people who eat the keto diet, who eat the paleo diet, 
um, what happened over the last 20 years? Because there's still a ton of books and a ton of people promoting keto. So in your in the short term, um, it seems like people eat whatever they want and they're okay. But over time, you do start to see results. So what have you seen in comparing the people who eat a whole food plant-based diet versus the people that eat the keto paleo diets, both in the gym and out of the gym? Is there anything that you could point to or you can't tell because it's just too hard to tell? I think if I could just chime in really quickly, I think there's there's always consequences, Stephen, that sometimes they don't reveal themselves until way later on in life. Like, let's say you smoked when you were 17 for you know X number of years or whatever. Not saying that you did, but a person did. Uh, maybe that comes back um, later on or a, a very, very inactive lifestyle with a lot of heavily concentrated calories consumed at a young age where your metabolism is still great and you're young and you're, you know, you're feeling great. But this adds up over time. Uh, we saw this, we, we've seen this uh, a lot recently. I mean, we have uh, what a, a, something like a 98% of population eating an, an omnivorous lifestyle, 73.6% of Americans are overweight, 42.5% are obese. This is not to body shame anyone, but it's to sound the alarm that, that that means there's often something else going going on there. And though I don't have clients, you know, one-on-one -on -one or anything like that, I have hundreds of thousands of readers. And what I found is that, uh, to quote uh, Jeff Novick, when people are eating crap, calorie rich and processed foods, crap foods, they tend to start to lean towards some of these problematic areas. And like Juliana said, and she actually has that that data, that 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 pool of evidence that when you get rid of the crap, you get rid of the calorie rich and processed foods, you do start to feel better, recover, heal, that kind of thing. I think there's just a lot of dormant stuff going on where people feel fairly invincible, uh, where they can eat whatever they want, live however they want, follow whatever kind of diet is popular or trendy at the time. But I think there's, there's always going to be consequences. And we have lots of studies that, that show uh, the impact that certain uh, dietary lifestyles and nutritional approaches have on uh, overall mortality rates. And I'm sure, you know, Derek is focusing on a lot of that uh, these days. So that's in my observation in, in nearly 30 years uh, doing this stuff. And even my own observations for myself, I am feeling my worst in my worst shape when I am eating too much crap. And so I, I think pointing to whole food plant-based is the solution. The question is, are we disciplined enough to do it and do it on a continual basis and to find enjoyment from it and make it part of our daily routine with all the temptation that's around us with highly concentrated, cheap, marketable food that's on every street corner? That's the question we have to answer for ourselves. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, great answer, Robert. I would say, no, I haven't, I don't have a ton of side-by-side -side comparisons. A lot of people are coming to me because they're plant curious or wanting help with a plant-based diet. Um, but I have, I have a number of clients who are not vegan, who are just kind of leaning that way as well. Um, and, you know, being in a fitness community, be having these friends on Facebook and social media, uh, and just seeing people in the gyms, I would say that in my experience, again, anecdotally, um, people who focus on carbs as the problem struggle with weight regain more people you know they'll go on a low carb diet that's very strict they lose a ton of weight quickly because that happens especially because of the water weight from loss of glycogen stores um but people don't stay on that diet you know there's too many food cravings it's not as sustainable and then they regain more and and so i, I see more yo-yo dieting in that crowd and then also with with people i've known for 10 15 20 years who've who've had that style of dieting when they're trying to watch their weight 
Um, I see more of those chronic conditions that are just part of the standard American diet um, in those populations versus someone who's doing things a more plant focused, you know, tend to have healthy cholesterol, healthy blood pressure, healthy glucose levels, even if their weight's fluctuating more than they would like. And if they're getting more processed foods than they want, they seem to have better health markers and not that need to go on a lot of prescription medications. Again, it's anecdotal and I don't have a huge pool of evidence there, but that's been my observation. I have people coming to me that are recovering from that way of eating and it shows up in their labs. It just shows up in their lives. Then they said, I felt horrible. I was miserable. I lost weight and I was doing better because it was better than my standard Western diet because I cut out sugar and whatever, but they come to me in a really not healthy place and a plant-based diet can definitely help recover from, from eating that way. Just that onslaught of animal product and oils and stuff like that and not having fiber and phytonutrients. So there's actually this kind of interesting thing that happens when like your microbiome is because it's constantly shifting. And so if you're eating all animal products and you have a completely different microbiome profile, and then all of a sudden you shift it, it's going to be uncomfortable at first. And all of a sudden you're getting some fiber and all of a sudden you're getting a whole different thing. Everything's kind of shifting around. So my advice is just to be patient and go slowly and know that you can get back all of your health markers and energy and recover and still keep your healthy weight. However, um, by eating a whole food plant-based diet. Okay. If you'd like to ask a question, please raise your hand. Um, and then I just want to ask each of you, if you could just quickly just tell us what do you eat for lunch and dinner each day? And for Robin and Derek, Robert and Derek, if you could tell us what do you eat for lunch each day when you are in your most intense training time? So if each of you could tell us your general lunch and dinner that you would eat, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll start with talking about my burrito bowl. So I love a burrito bowl typically for lunch. Why? Because it's you, you can mix and match so creatively. So you can have um, different types of rice or quinoa, different types of beans, avocado, lettuce, tomato, salsa, mushrooms, peppers, you name it, you can mix and match flavors, different types of completely different themes. So uh, I do something like a burrito bowl uh, for lunch and I have uh, fruit as snacks, you know, before and after lunch as it fits in and help, you know, not too close there, too, too closely after for digestion, digestion purposes. But that's a, the reality. I eat those kind of things. And uh, for for dinner, for dinner, I really like like a um, I like a lot of international cuisine. You know, like uh, uh, fried rice, vegetable fried rice, or uh, pad thai, or something like that. Where I, I do have some oil in those types of dishes. Or you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. My wife makes most of our meals at home and 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 limits oil and that and those types of things, and does focus on a bit of a, a whole food approach for that. But basically, the idea is to get those are my largest meals of the day, the, the largest calorie consumption and the most diversity of nutrition during those times. And I also work out in the evenings. As I mentioned, I'm going to go to the gym after a dog walk and after this this call. And that's where I'm going to have a, a bigger portion. You know, I'm not doing supplements. I'm not doing shakes. I'm not doing all this extra stuff. I'm simply eating a larger portion of whatever is for dinner. And um Tonight, I don't know exactly what it's what it's going to be. Uh, that's that's to be determined, but probably some sort of uh, vegetable or pasta or tofu dish. Those are uh, those are common um, in our household. Great, thank you. I'll jump in. Um, so, as I mentioned, with kind of automating your meals um, to re re reduce decision fatigue, um, Marcella, my wife, and I have eaten the same lunch year in and year out for a long time now. 
Um, and lately we've been changing a little bit. Part of it was having our third child. It's just, it's, it's been a lot to juggle. <laughs> but what our, our standard lunch forever was, was a great big green salad, usually like a whole head of romaine per person, um, spinach mixed in, things like that sometimes. Um, and then some kind of pan seared tofu. I like it blackened with nutritional yeast and some kind of, um, you know, seasoning mix. Um, and then all kinds of vegetables on top, you know, tomatoes, cucumbers, onions, things like that. Um, on the side, it varies. Uh, in the past, when I was really trying to bulk up on a very high calorie diet, I would have potatoes, sweet potatoes, lentil soup, um, avocado, things like that on the side of this big salad with this half block of tofu on top. Um, dressing, by the way, on the salad is, is usually just balsamic vinegar. I know vinegar has a ton of health benefits and I love sour tangy flavors, so I can just drench my salad in vinegar and I'm happy as can be. Marcella is less enthusiastic about it, but she does have it. <laughs> it's not quite as much portion as I do. Um, and then dinner, like Robert said, very much an international cuisine. We love Thai food. Um, we love sushi. We love Ethiopian food. It's delicious. Um, at home, we have, you know, pasta. We, we sometimes will lean on that bonza like or similar bean-based pastas, which are, are great. Um, as well as like chipotle bowls with lots of rice, beans, tofu. Um, shredded lettuce, uh, guacamole, salsa, things like that. Um, been trying more recently to shift calories earlier in the day. To, I've, I've seen a lot of things that breakfast really is the most important meal and, you know, nutrient timing can have an impact on your wellness and things. And I, I do notice that if I don't have a really big dinner, I tend to feel better, sleep better. And we're also trying to eat earlier. Um, kind of like uh, Julianne Heber mentioned with the time restricted eating just trying to get more calories earlier in the day. Um, so my lunches have been lighter. I've kind of been omitting the sides on the lunches, just going for the salad um, and doing more, more raced cauliflower, which you can find everywhere now. And I actually love it, especially if you mix it with brown rice, you get twice as much rice and it's vegetables. Um, so that's being more of a feature in our lunches and dinners as well. Just trying to make those calories later. Problem was my breakfast was already huge. And so now it's even bigger and it's getting a little onerous, <laughs> but um, that's another problem. So hopefully that answers that question. Thanks. And I, my mouth is watering you guys. That all sounds like so we all eat the same foods. Uh, I, I like to eat at 11 o'clock every day. Like that's my first meal. I've been doing time restricted eating for almost a decade and it's just improved my health, improved my digestion. I feel so much better when I do that. So I have a big meal at 11. Then I try to not have a dinner, but I'm very social and I have, a, I'm always going out and doing things. So I do tend to have a second meal, but I always do it earlier in the day or it disrupts my sleep. But my big, huge meal in the middle of the day, also a huge bowl. And I like to just throw things all in a huge bowl. I have a huge salad, but I also am a creature of habit and I have published hundreds of recipes and every time I have to go back to the kitchen to draw up new recipes, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to eat my regular food. So I always do like different versions of what I've already created and that I love. Like I love the, the cauliflower rice. I eat that almost every day. I have this one recipe on my website, the cream and mushroom cauliflower rice. That's been my favorite recipe for years and an herbed potato Dijon salad that I'm obsessed with. Um, but it's always a salad and I always make a nut or seed based dressing a really quick five minute, just throw it in my little mini blender and I drink, have eat, drink half of it on uh, one day and then half the next day. So I get my nuts and seeds. I'm getting my six daily threes and, um, I'm very, I get very full with a huge it's amount of a good amount of healthy food and it keeps, it lasts the whole day. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Priscilla, would you like to ask a question and where are you from? Hello, I'm from Indio, California. I uh, want to ask uh, Julianne uh, the six, if she could go over the, the six groups again. Certainly. Hello, I'm in California too. 
I, if you go to my website, plantbaseddietitian.com and plug in six daily threes, it's all there in real good detail. So I would recommend plantbaseddietitian.com six daily threes. But briefly, um, these are the most important foods to prioritize in your diet. Number one, leafy green and cruciferous vegetables. So you want to have at least, you know, one serving is one cup raw or half a cup cooked, which we're all getting at our lunch, right? Um, all of those servings. And the other category is the other colored veggies, the reds, the oranges, the yellows, the whites, all of those other wonderful colors because they provide different benefits as well. And that's three servings, half a cup uh, raw cooked or a cup raw. And then the third group is fruits. And then the fourth group is one to two ounces of nuts and seeds a day total, not three times a day. So that's like about three quarters of a tablespoon. You'll see it all broken down on that on that document. And then legumes. So beans, lentils, peas, hummus, soy foods, and it's about one to one and a half servings a day. This depends on your size. Like my nutritional needs are not the same as my six foot tall lineman playing football son of mine. We have very vast differences. So you want to just use this as a core. And then the last group that I've now added is the mushrooms. It used to be physical activity, but I just realized that mushrooms can't be thrown into the vegetable category because they really aren't vegetables and they have so much to offer the world. So they have their own special, unique category there as well. Thank you. Um, there was a study in, Ep in the Epic Oxford study that said vegans had greater levels of bone fractures. Do you do have any comments on this? And would this be solved by resistance training and weightlifting? I have a really in-depth answer, but I just talked. Um, go, go ahead, because I, 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 don't, I don't have a good answer aside from just increasing bone density and strength from resistance training and stress. Yes, this when this study came out, it was very alarming for a lot of us. And so um, we looked at it very, very carefully. And me and my colleagues that you all know and love, but we we came up, you know, we were looking at if you really want to think about bone health, weight, uh, weightlifting, resistance training, weight bearing exercise is the most important thing. But why is it more prevalent when they solved for exercise in vegans? Well, the things we mentioned for bone health, most importantly, make sure your D levels, your serum vitamin D levels are optimal. Get them tested. You don't know. You won't know. You won't feel a, a deficiency and you want to make sure they're optimal sufficient. And so when your vitamin D levels are optimal, you're able to absorb the calcium that's coming in. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how much calcium you're taking in, you can lose it. It won't be absorbed into your body. So it's meaningless. So make sure your vitamin D levels are normal. Make sure you're getting your vitamin B12. It is so important. Also on my website, I have an article on B12 because the dosing is a little bit unique for B12 because it's the most finicky vitamin with an attitude problem, the way it's absorption and the absorption curve and all that's really particular. So I would recommend you go check that out as well, but make sure you're getting your B12 from a supplement. You're not going to get it from plant foods. You're going to run out, even if it looks like it's um, normal levels at first. So this is, I wrote a, a lot about this and all of my stuff you'll see. Um, and then calcium, you do want to make sure you're getting calcium. So, you know, incorporate some of those plant milks, the leafy green vegetables, almonds. Remember that kale is better absorbed. The calcium from kale is better absorbed than dairy. So make sure you're getting some kale and some broccoli, unhealed sesame seeds like tahini, calcium set tofu, oranges, dried figs, fortified um, plant milks or blackstrap molasses. Those are good sources of calcium, but just make sure you're consuming it. And then you want to get your protein. Of course, we always talk about protein, not a problem, but if you're getting it, you're getting those three servings of legumes and the nuts and seeds, you're eating things like quinoa and lots of leafy green vegetables, you will get ample protein, but you do need to be mindful of it, of course. Um, but if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, it's very hard not to be getting enough. And then 
the other thing I would say about that is um, we want to be careful with calcium supplements because calcium supplements may increase risk for cardiovascular problems. So that's another thing. So you want to get it from your food. And um, yeah, I actually made a recipe when that study came out, I made a strong bone stir fry recipe and it has all of those ingredients into it. So for all those different reasons, but it's, you definitely can, you could definitely have to be mindful of that it is a concern for a vegan diet. Juliana, would you say instead of you are what you eat, you are what you absorb? Is that, is that like, and, and hopefully this is helpful for people. Should people go get blood work done or go see a registered dietitian? Because there's a lot of us, you know, for a long time, myself included, yeah, I've been vegan for all these decades. I don't need to get checked. And then, you know, you get checked and you realize, oh yeah, there are some things that are off here. Even in uh, those of us who have followed a plant-based diet and a active lifestyle. So you are what you absorb and what do you recommend for, I mean, blood work done, you know, immediately work with a registered dietitian. Like what's the protocol? That's a great question. And a lot of things can be silent. So it's really important. I've had very, I've had vegan friends that are young and healthy and athletic that have had certain very serious health conditions that have passed away. Unfortunately, um, I've lost friends. It's crazy. So you really, it is important to be aware and get data. Definitely check your labs every year. Look at your lipids, look at your thyroid, look at your vitamin B12, your, but you really want to look at methylmalonic acid for a more accurate assessment of your B12 status rather than the B12 itself. Um, you want to, you could check your omega-3s. That is a really big thing. It's just growing and growing and it's a concern. So be aware of your omega-3s. I definitely recommend supplementing with the omega-3 microalgae formula. Um, I would look at thyroid, liver, kidney, all of the general guidelines that your physician would do your blood sugar, check your blood pressure, make sure you're checking your weight. Like, don't be afraid to look at this stuff because there's so much that we have power of diet is the number one cause of early death and disability in the world. So you are quite literally what you eat and you have a lot of power by making these choices and you can make these choices better when you are as informed as you can be. Okay. Thank you, Robert. How do we stay in touch with you for people that want more information about your books or your, um, your website? How do they stay in touch with you? Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. And again, appreciate you having me as part of this, this group and this lineup. I'm a veganbodybuilding.com. I've been running that for over 20 years. That's where I connected with Derek and many others. Uh, so veganbodybuilding.com. And you can just also look me up, uh, Robert Cheek on social media. And there's my book right there, The Plant-Based Athlete. That's the New York Times bestseller. You can find that wherever books are sold. So that's how you can keep in touch with me. Just search my name online and you'll likely find me. And Derek, how about yourself? How do we stay in touch with you and follow up with your stuff? Yeah, you can find me on social media as well. I'm at, at Vegan Muscle on Instagram um, at, and um, Facebook.com slash Vegan Muscle and Fitness on Facebook, um, and as well as our website, veganmuscleandfitness.com. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. And uh, Juliana, how about yourself? Yes, plantbaseddietitian.com. And you could find all of my social media channels there because sometimes it's my name, like on Instagram, and it's a really hard name to spell, Julie and Anna put together. But I have a lot of resources on my website and you can contact me directly there on that contact button. It goes directly to me and I would love to answer your questions and, um, and help you find resources if you need so. Okay, great. Can we unmute everyone? We really want to thank you for bringing all your experience and sharing it so freely with us. Um, you guys Thank you. 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 Thank you.